Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. What up, what up? How you day? How you day? How you day is how we say, how are you in Pidgin English in Nigeria? So just introducing you to a little bit of culture there. But how are you all doing? I hope you all are having an amazing start to your week. Today, Marion and I, Marion is the guest, Marion and I talk about the gig economy, how to thrive in the gig economy. Essentially, most of the world is going to be freelancers in the next 20 to 50 years. And so we dive into the hidden responsibilities, the challenges of being an independent worker, the widespread impact of the world of gig work and how it reshapes businesses of all sizes. We talk about the science of pricing and how to make sure you are valuing yourself the right way. And we also talk about the key factors that are going to influence the gig economy. So if you're someone who's looking for multiple streams of income, this is a podcast that you need to listen to. If you're someone who wants to understand how you can make your passion into your career, this is a podcast you need to listen to. Check out Marion's work. Check out her book. Her book is going to be put in the show notes. But check out her book and check out her work and check out her website. And I'm sure you're going to be nourished and edified. Enjoy the episode. In a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors, cross-cultural expert Tayo Roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide. Each week, he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world. Get ready, take some notes, and learn how to be the best you that you can be. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's episode is with Marin McGovern, and we are talking about the gig economy, because currently, the world of work looks exponentially different. There are about 57.3 Americans who are freelancers, and within a decade, independent contractors will be the majority. This evolving, you know, modern form of workforce is, is continuing to reshape everything that we do. And it's time to learn how to navigate the space before we, you know, rather before it's too late. So who's Marion? Over the last 30 years, she's been a trailblazer in the world of work. You know, she launched a gig economy firm uh, before the term was even coined. So, you know, she's also basically a pioneer. And as a, as a pioneer, she's now revealing valuable tips on surviving the modern workplace for workers and employees alike. Welcome to the show. My pleasure. Thank you, Tail. The pleasure is mine. So you're the author of Thriving in the Gig Economy, and I'm really excited to dive into that, you know, that term itself and, and what it means and what it entails. But 
I want to know a little bit more about Marion. Who who is Little Marion, and how did Little Marion become Marion McGovern? Uh, well, we're so, aside from marrying someone named McGovern. Oh, um, well. <laughs> aside from that. <laughs> aside from that. Okay, no, um, on the uh, career-wise, I had been, uh, you know, a banker, and then I went to business school, and I went to a big consulting firm, Booz Allen and Hamilton, and saw situations where, you know, the team of smart MBAs who really didn't know your business but were quick studies might not be the best answer. And maybe the best answer was really some one person who had done this before. So uh, like a good little consultant, I looked out in the world, I surveyed companies, I had focus groups with uh, independent workers and decided, wow, there's a, you know, maybe there is a business here. Um, maybe the idea of matching independent consultants with projects at companies would work. So back a long time ago, and I'm dating myself, 1988, I started M Squared Consulting uh, with that idea of putting together independent professionals with interesting projects and uh, grew it to be uh, throughout California. I then, uh, because there are issues around independent contracting that have to do with employment laws and 1099 designations versus employees. I also started a compliance company, an employment compliance company. I sold both firms to a big South African conglomerate and remained a, uh, a board member up until a few years ago when they actually sold it back to a, uh, an American company. So um, I've been in this space of gig work all my life. And about three years ago now, three different investor groups asked me to get involved with their digital platform concepts, the idea of uh, technology facilitating the matching of talent. And it was all very interesting because these were technologists at technology firms who had never really dealt with a service business or a people business. So when I would ask questions like, um, are they going to be independent contractors or employees? Or, you know, where are we going to get the gigs from? Uh, they seemed like very intelligent questions to these folks, but they were very basic. And so it occurred to me that things had changed a, a lot um, in a short amount of time. And it, I wanted to discover more. And that was why I decided to, to dig in and write this uh, book, which actually is my second book. I wrote a a book about freelancing in 2001, but just to sort of see about what this whole new trend of technology and platforms meant for the world of work. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, you know, the term pioneer is not even used loosely on you. This is something that you've literally been doing before the Ubers and, and you know, Lyft and, and Airbnbs and all that. So, in fact, when Uber got in, tr in, in trouble the first time, if you will, with the whole <laughs> independent contractor lawsuit, part of me was really glad because, you know, that has been a problem that has been around forever. In fact, my old, my former CFO called me immediately to say, wow, it's like old times dealing with this stuff. And, and, you know, the hope is that, uh, now that it has a higher profile, it's something that might actually get resolved. Huh. Wait, wait. So when you say this has been a problem before, what exactly do you mean? Like, are you talking about the harassment? Are you talking about... No, no, no. The whole wor world of independent contractors versus employees. Gotcha. Because so, gotcha, I was thinking Uber's got so many problems. Like, wait, yeah. <laughs> because, in uh, fact, <laughs> my interest in the subject, I interview all of my Uber and Lyft drivers. And there was an Uber driver once where I was asking him, you know, so do you think you should be an employee or do you prefer being a contractor? And he kind of paused and said, 
it's such a messed up company. Why would I want to be an employee? (laughs) Good point. Right, right. Now, so, okay, so then this is good. So then, you know, let's dive right in. Let's let's talk about the the widespread impact of the world of gig economy and how it basically reshapes businesses of all sizes. Well, you know, one thing that I think is a, um, a misconception on people's parts is that this is something new. And again, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years. It's, it's not new. Um, it sort of actually started, the whole term started in the 1920s with jazz musicians who did, you know, a couple of nights at one club and a, a week later at another club. And it was a gig. So a gig, by definition, is work that is variable in duration and done for different clients or employers. So gigs have been around for a long time. Um, it was back in the the 80s when I started my business that it became more mainstream in the business world because you had the combination of technology becoming a bigger factor to companies where they had big software systems that needed um, IT people to help them with. But then you also had lots of consolidations of corporations where they were, you know, smashing together two companies and laying off bunches of people. So you had all of these very accomplished people who decided, you know, maybe I don't want to go back to that environment and get uh, laid off again. Maybe I'll just start my own business. So there was a very credentialed and successful group of independent workers back in, you know, 1988 when I started uh, M Squared Consulting. And if anything, they were probably better than some of the ones today because they didn't have all of this technology to help them get found. They were getting business based on their own reputation. But but this has been around for a long time. And I think the attention now on the gig economy is because of the on-demand platforms. So the Uber, the TaskRabbit, um, the fact that that has created a marketplace of occasional work. And of course, there are social safety net implications for people who may want to have that be regular work. But another misconception is that for many people, that on-demand side, again, that delivery, driving, random tasks, is is often very occasional. That's for people who want to earn extra money. In fact, um, a recent study done looked at the people who work part-time in the gig world, and that's about, uh, don't quote me on this, 12 to 15 million people, and those part-timers who work less than, uh, on average, 11 hours a week on a gig, uh, on a gig platform, typically more than half of them, or just about half of them, have a regular full-time job. So they're using the gig economy to get more income, to supplement their income. Yeah. So, I mean, sorry, you just went through some of these misconceptions. Is I guess a lot of people have had, you know, almost like they look down on you type thing if you... If you say you're a freelancer or you're, 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 you don't have an employer, I mean, I can think of things off the top of my head where it's you don't have benefits. Um, well, Leo, that is one of my biggest pet peeves. Is please, I'm glad I said it there. I'm sorry. Absolutely. That I, 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 there needs to be more respect for this as a career choice because another big misconception is that the only reason people are doing this is because they can't find a full-time job. And the truth of the matter is, of that 53 million people that are working independently, 70% are doing it by choice. And that is true around the world, not just in America. So this is a choice that people are making. This is not a default. So let's celebrate that choice. Let's celebrate the entrepreneurial spirit that is in that choice. 
I mean, this is really cool. And when you think about um, the company side of it, so bringing these, so not so much, so much the on-demand world, um, but the, you know, the corporate world where you're bringing consultants in to work on a project with your own employees. It's been shown that the way that the best teams work in organizations are when there is something called psychological safety, meaning you trust everyone in that group and you feel like peers and you feel like you can say anything. Well, if you're looking down on that freelancer because, oh, they're not one of us, you know, they don't have benefits. Not, I mean, all of a sudden there goes psychological safety out the window. So we really need to, to recognize that this is a cool thing that these people are doing. I'm a proud gig person myself. I sit on corporate boards. I write books. I consult. I mean, I've got a bunch of different gigs that I do, and that's great. Yeah, I think it's great too. And in your mind, is there a difference between an entrepreneur and, an, and a freelancer? You know, there is a challenge of terminology because um, – Nobody agrees. In fact, um, Upwork, which is a big platform for all sorts of everything from, you know, web developers to videographers, um, they did a study with the Freelancers Union, which is a big advocacy group for freelancers, and they talked about the terminology, and nobody liked any one term. People didn't like, you know, creatives liked freelancing, uh, IT guys and consultants didn't. Um, nobody really liked gig worker, independent worker was kind of boring. Consultant can have baggage. Contractor can have baggage. So actually my publisher suggested I come up with a term and I, I, I haven't been able to do that, but I think I would make a fortune if I did. Um, but, uh, the problem with that too, is that a lot of people therefore don't self-identify. So by that, I mean, when I, when you write a book, you know, you, you have your manuscript done and then you send the manuscript out to people that you want to write the wonderful notes of, hey, Marion wrote a great book. Um, so there was a woman I'm on a board with who's been the CEO of three different companies, and now she is an independent consultant doing having a great branding practice. So I asked her if she would blurb the book. And I get this call about a week later so saying, oh, my God, Marion, I get it now. I'm so relieved. And I said, Cynthia, what, what do you get? And she said, when you asked me to to read your book on the gig economy, I thought you were talking about gigabytes. And I have <laughs> no idea that you were talking about me, that I am a gig person. And it's like, that's absolutely right. So especially at that upper end, whether they're independent, you know, marketing consultants like my friend Cynthia, Cynthia or, you know, independent financial guys, money raisers. I mean, there are all sorts of people at that upper echelon they don't necessarily see themselves as working in the gig economy. But to me, because it's all about work, yeah. you're doing gigs, right. which, again, not to just go on here. The one thing that a lot of uh, journalists throw into the gig economy, which I disagree with, is the sharing economy. So Airbnb, to me, is not a gig. I get that it takes work for you to get your apartment ready. But for me, the buyer... I am getting that condo in Colorado because it's near the resort I'm going to. It's got the right number of bedrooms. It's the right price point, and it's available when I need it. How good the work you do at being a host has nothing to do with my decision. It's all about that asset. So the fact that it's about that asset, a physical asset, to me, it is not a gig. Wow. But I get that people are looking at it as 
additional non-employment income, and that's why they throw it in there. Wow. That that, that could be the most controversial thing you said today. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I can come up with something else. <laughs> okay. We're just getting started. Um, uh, so th- let's talk about the hidden responsibilities and challenges for being an independent worker then. Um, well, it sort of depends on where you are in the spectrum of what you're doing. I think if you... Uh, if you're just thinking about jumping in, I think there are three questions you got to ask. The first is, do I really have something marketable? So if you're thinking about jumping in, I should say it's a career choice. It's different to say, I want to earn some extra money while I figure stuff out, so I'll drive for Lyft. Um, but if really you're thinking about, you know, I know all this stuff about digital marketing, I'll try to be a consultant in digital marketing. you got to think, do I really have something that somebody would buy? And, you know, the, the best way, if you read things um, like Designing Your Life, which is a great book by two Stanford professors who were designers by trade, and unfortunately I forget their, um, the author's names, but they talk about how to try to, to figure out how to structure the life you really want to have. You know, one of the things you do is prototype. You, you, you try out different things, and, and so you kind of, if you're thinking about doing this, you should prototype it. You should talk to old bosses and old colleagues and say, hey, if I did this, would you hire me? What would you hire me for? What do you think my secret sauce is? And really understanding that before you jump in is very valuable. The sec- second thing is about how do you deal with being alone? Because the truth of the matter is it's an independent lifestyle by definition. So, you know, if you're somebody who, you know, think about your your past situations when you were away from the office and maybe working at home. Was that good or was that bad? I mean, could you could you not wait to get back into the office and have lunch with your colleagues and hang around and you know play beer pong after work or whatever it is? Um, so that's an important thing. Quite frankly, that's why a lot of independent uh, workers decide to get work, get places that, you know, we works and other co-working spaces so they can have that human energy around them. The yeah. third uh, issue is whether you can say no, because the truth of the matter is when you're running your own business, there are things you have to say no to. Um, not the least of which is if your client um, kind of changes the scope on you. Cause as an employee, if you're hired to do X and your boss says Y, you do it. As a consultant or a freelancer, if you're hired to do X and the client says Y, you shouldn't do it without renegotiating the contract for X. You have to say, sorry, you know, that's not in the scope of what we talked about. We either need to, you know, extend the project, extend the fee. You know, you have to come up with options, but you can't just kind of blithely say, yeah, sure. So that's really important, and, and that's not necessarily natural for somebody who's been a W-2 employee all their life. Yeah, so yeah. They're yeah. saying no. There's kind of making those hard calls, not the least of which might be to a client who hasn't paid you to say, hey, I've got my bill there. I mean, nobody wants to make that call, but you also don't want to not get paid. Yeah. And then the final no, which a lot of people don't think about either, is – turning down something that's really not your sport. You know, sometimes you get into a relationship with with a client where um, they just 
wow, you, you've solved the problem. Can you do this? Can you do that? And, and, and they're willing to have that be a next phase. But sometimes one of those next phases is something you really don't do. Like, you know, I, I, I am on a bunch of platforms as a consultant and I use a bunch of platforms as a client. And so for my website, I've had all sorts of people from, you know, web developers to um, uh, Google AdWords and Facebook advertising people. And, you know, one of the people I had for um, Google Analytics said something about my email marketing programs. And I said, well, gee, can you do that? And good for her. She said, yeah, I could, but that's not me. You should really get, you know, the perfect MailChimp person, which thank you, I did. So, but it's really important to make that call and not end up doing one, something you don't like, and two, something you might not do well, because part of the the thrill challenge and for some people downside of the gig world is you're only as good as your last gig. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you touched on it there uh, just a little bit. You talk about pricing. Can you really explain the the way to determine your price based on skills, expertise, and the nature of your work. I think that's one of the most difficult things for a lot of us consultants and, and contractors or independent uh, contractors to think of, especially when we're in the gig economy. What do we price? Can we come down on this? What's our value? What's our worth? This person said yes. This person said no. What is that process? Well, as one of my uh, board members once told me, if you're not losing business on price, then you're not pricing high enough. So take that as a huh. as a good thing if you've lost some some business on price. But you know, there it's pricing is really an art, not a science. I mean, there are a lot of things that go into the decision. Again, doing that prototyping, what would you pay for my digital marketing expertise? And so it's good to sort of ask those questions before you get started. Um there is, uh, you know, one way is um, looking at the nature of the work because it's the work, not you, that should define the price. So is there, what is it about the work? If it's work that will, um, that has a level of urgency to it, then potentially there's an urgency premium that might make sense there. You know, if somebody's wanting you to, to turn around a, an illustration or a copy edit or something, way shorter than what the normal case would be, absolutely, you should charge more for that. Um, alternatively, there is kind of the investment approach. So if by doing this project, you will get more skills that are marketable for you, like maybe it's doing a product management gig where this will have international implications and you've never done international stuff before. It's worth pricing that lower to get that experience because that experience could then par be parlayed into more introducing wondersuite from bluehost.com website creation is hard but now with bluehost you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique wordpress website or store right away from there you can customize your design colors and content and bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like google and bing from step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. 
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Work. So the idea that is that you are making an investment in yourself by pricing that lower to be able to get that experience, to so be able to upskill yourself, if you will. Um, another way to look at it, but but you have to be careful here because it's, it's not always equivalent, is the 1% rule. So the 1% rule is the idea that were they to hire someone to do this work, um, the fee would be 1%. So the daily fee. So an $80,000 deal, uh, you know, if that would be an $80,000 hire somewhere, it would be a um, an $800 daily rate or a $100 hourly rate. But there you have to be be careful of, you know, would that really be an $80,000 person? What else might be in that job, et cetera? So, the, so that one's not – but but it, for some, it's a very good rule of thumb. Hmm. Yeah, no, you, you definitely touched on a lot of things, the idea of skills, expertise, and the nature of your work. And then I think even more importantly, leverage, how you can figure out to leverage a previous opportunity for another one. And in my line of work, you know, I, I run – um. A consultant firm focused on helping companies and individuals connect, uh, communicate effectively across cultures. So we dive into a lot of things like, you know, diversity, inclusion, and emotional intelligence and things like that. And a lot of times I do find myself in the position where I have that on the corporation end, on the corporate end, but then I also work with, you know, individuals as well who want to, who are change makers, but want to get the message out there. They want to develop the personal brand where they can develop a platform. Uh, because I was able to do that with my podcast. And it's interesting, the mindset that goes into both, I guess, both types of pricing, because I even sometimes get into the quandary of, wait, which one should I price more? Is the, which one is worth more? And I, I know in the past when I've come up with one-on-one prices versus group prices versus corporate prices, I've been, I've had some form of guilt. I've almost thought that the one-on-one People, I should lower it because I was like, maybe they don't have enough money. And then the corporations, I should raise it because they have money. And I just find myself going into this weird cycle. And so I don't know if there's a science or if it gets any better. Um, I've gotten better over the years, but it's something that's that used to just send the shivers down my spine as I would well, think you know, about your, it. Your guilt comment re- resonates because I think some people think that they should have like one price. And then it's it, that it's unfair for in some way for them to have a different price for different clients. But you know, again, the work is what determines it. And and the other side of you making an investment in your in your own human capital is if somebody's getting you just for that, then they should pay more for that. So you know, like think about some people, uh, especially in the the financial milieu. You know, there are a lot of independents out there that go out and help people raise money. Well, if, if you're hiring Mary or Steve because of the contacts that they have, that's their investment that they've made over the years developing those contacts. You need to pay that person more because you are asking 
for for their personal capital as part of your project. Right. I mean, there are a lot of factors. The other one that 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 kind of could drive me crazy, um, which I saw back in the M squared days, were the people that had um, sort of ongoing intermittent projects with companies. So you know, maybe it was something where uh, they came back to do benefits re-enrollment every year, or they um, they always did uh, got involved in the annual report and 10K, 10Q schedule to help out the uh, investor relations guys or whatever it was. But it was regular and intermittent. And invariably, they would want to raise those rates every year. And it was kind of like, guys, this is something when you when you look at your book of business that you can count on. It's like in retail when you have anchor tenants at a mall. You've got an anchor tenant. It's nice to know you're always going to get that 25, 40 grand, whatever it is, year after year. Don't jeopardize that. Mm. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, yeah, no, I, I love this. I love this. Um, okay, so we've, we've actually done a lot. We talked about what the impact of gig economy, the misconceptions, responsibilities, and challenges, but and pricing. But I'm curious about the uh, the loneliness factor. I mean, I don't necessarily feel this, but I do know that there's some form of isolation that does come with working independently, and Depending on who you are, it might affect you in a different, you know, degree at a different degree. So, what's your thought on that? Well, my thought on that is, um, you need to ask me in about four months. <laughs> four months, okay. Let me let me get into my time machine right now. <laughs> One of my gigs is um, that uh, I am on the board of a private company called CPP. CPP owns the Myers Briggs uh, Type Instrument which is a, a personality uh, tool that's been the most widely used personality assessment in the world. Mm-hmm. And in um, uh, just recently, the, our Oxford UK office launched a survey of gig economy workers and their personality type. And part of it was just to see, just do, do people who, um, who work independently tend to have one kind of type more than another, um, more so than the normal distribution in the, in the population. But more importantly, it was to, because the MBTI is really a communication tool and, a, and you know, how, how, do you, how do you deal with emotions? How do you deal with difficult situations? So for one specific thing they wanted to address was, based on your type, how would you handle that isolation issue? What's the best thing for you to do? Is it to, is it to plan lunches once a week because you're a very structured person? Or is it to make sure you just have occasions where you're going to run into people because you aren't a structured person? So I, I'm really intrigued to see what the results of this hmm. uh, uh, survey will end up being. That's interesting. I, I'm actually an ENFJ, the MBTI. So there you go. It'll be interesting to see. <laughs> but I, I am I'm, an MVP. Oh, you're what? I'm an ENTP. Oh, ENTP. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So you, you, I got the feeling. All right. All right. Okay. Um, it's interesting. The reason why I said I took myself out of that is because I've, I've weirdly been comfortable being by myself for the longest time. I, you know, I grew up in different continents and I'm the oldest. And so I just got used to the idea of being um, alone without being lonely. And this is a concept I always talk about. You can be alone without being lonely. 
And so it doesn't bother me because I'm very self-motivated and self-driven and I've always been sort of a rebel in thinking. But I do know, you know, in this field, I hear it a lot of times actually, that it does bother people. There are family dynamics. There are people that, for what you're saying, different personality types who do feel, you know, they get depressed, they get, you know, sad, they get, you know, um, uh, a, just experience a varying degree of emotions. And so that's why I asked that question because it's something I haven't felt, but I know that other people feel that. And so I don't want anyone to listen to the podcast to think that, suck it up, you're going to have to deal with it. Because right. that's just my natural tendency to do, to deal with, uh, to be able to just move with that. But it's not necessarily what everybody um, else feels. So, Well, yeah. I think, you know, it can be exaggerated by technology. Because the other thing that's important for independence in the business-to-business side is your personal brand. And so much of your personal brand now is digital. Yeah. You know, your client is immediately going to look at your LinkedIn page or your prospective client. And, you know, depending on what your sport is, whether or not you have a blog site, a website, et cetera, et cetera. So there's so much time involved, really, in curating that, that um, I have this fear at times that some people think if they send enough good content out there and they're constantly, you know, tweeting or um, posting blogs and things, that business will come. And the truth of the matter is business isn't going to come that way. It could help you get more, but at the same time, you still need to go out and press the flesh. You need to be at events where potential clients would be. You need to uh, get speaking gigs. You need to go to seminars and, and, and meet the other people in your space. You know, people buy from people. So uh, I, I fear that some folks maybe that enhances the, the feeling of isolation when they're not necessarily getting emails saying, would you come work for me? Mm. Yeah, no. So then, yeah, actually, you know, let's, as we're rounding up, getting ready to round up, let's actually highlight those things. What are the best practices that independent contractors can apply to themselves in order to, to really move past just a brand awareness to actually getting jobs? What kind of things can they do to make sure they're the go-to people, if you will, to be hired? Well, you know, I think the, uh, understanding your brand is important and there's lots of, you know, tools out there to help you do that. Um, one of the things I really like is understanding not only what your special sauce is, but again, that what it isn't. So you are as much defined by the projects you don't take as as the one you do. Um, you also have to have variety in your sales channels. You need to, you need to do direct personal sales. Sorry, you really do. Um, a lot of people, even even sales consultants who do, you know, sales management programs often don't like to sell themselves, but you still have to, you have to be out there. You have to be pressing the flesh. But now, thank you to the, to the platform world, there are a lot of other options. So there are the, <coughs> excuse me, the more traditional options like my old company, M Squared, but another one, Business Talent Group, where they are out there creating opportunities for consultants based on their their reputation as well. So, you know, we M squared and, and, and BTG, we both have clients that love us that would come back to us and say, gee, you guys are so good at identifying the right consultants, you know, help us find this person. So it's a little more um, humanity involved. And then of course there are the platforms and in the platform world. You have to just like, curating your digital brand takes a while. It, you got to work at the platforms too. 
So you got to figure out which ones make sense for me to join. And as part of the research for the, the book, I joined a dozen. Some of them shouldn't have taken me, but they did. And just to understand the experience or lack thereof. So, but what was very clear to me was that you need to work them. You know, a lot of them have extracurricular things like, you know, uh, board governance interest groups or, you know, that was, that was one of the ones that one of my extracurriculars with one of these platforms. So um, you sort of need to do the, the extracurriculars. You need to post to a lot of projects. You need to sort of browse. I mean, I would set up during that research period a couple hours every Monday to sort of check every site and see what was going on or not going on. I mean, you can't just assume that just because you signed up these places that gigs will come. You know, you got to work. Um, so, so making sure you have multiple avenues and making sure you're kind of keeping up with things. I mean, back in the day, and it's still very true when I would advise companies about how to, to choose consultants versus employees. Uh, I talked about the four V's where the first V was veracity. They actually could do what they said they do. The second one was versatility, showing that you um, you could do it in different environments. The third one was vigor, and that's what I think some people don't pay attention to. And vigor is the idea that you are constantly learning about your field. So, you know, they have continuing education at the bar, and teachers have to get certified, and, and physicians have to get certified, you know. Consultants need to keep up, too. And mm -hmm. if you're not keeping up with what's going on in your field, you're old news. And then the final one is vision. And, you know, the idea that if you, whatever your field is, you, you should have an idea about, you know, where that's taking you and where it's going. You should have, a, 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 you know, a, a larger-than-life idea. And my favorite example was uh, compensation consultants. I would want to take have a compensation consultant give me their opinion on the salary cap in professional sports. I mean, I don't care if they if they know football, basketball, baseball, or anything, but because they're a compensation person, they should have a view on that. That's the that's actually my favorite thing you said. The the idea of continuous learning because it is exact. That's what I talk to about to a lot of aspiring, you know, independent contractors or consultants in the field or coaches. Really, I always ask them, "What do you do to stay on trend? Do you know what the trends are?" What are your thoughts on, you know, Absolutely. these things? How do you keep about current events? And I often get the, I'm too busy with da 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 And I'm like, that's how you're going to stand out, though. You know, that's how you're going to know where the industry is and what that is. But I, you know, I don't have the time. And I'm like, and I always say, but you have to sort of incorporate it into your day because it is just as important as um, the clients you have right now. Although, you know, Teo, um, I think it was that same freelancers union study they looked at uh, how sensitive people were to updating their skills. And freelancers were, 55% of them were had done something in the last six months to, to improve their skill set. Employees, only 30%. Wow. So, you know, that's something that maybe um, that, that points to how the trend is, is moving where – it is kind of all about talent and the independent workers may be more prepared to adapt as things move so much more quickly and they in the business world. Certainly hope so. Certainly hope so. 
Where, um, what are the key factors that will change the future of the uh, gig economy? Well, there's certainly the, um, the legal environment and, and the legal environment, the social safety net environment. Um, I think, uh, you know, there was a big uh, finding in California this week or last week that uh, certain workers couldn't be independent contractors. So there was all this foretelling of, oh, my gosh, this is the end of the gig economy. Um, no, I don't think so. I think, again, it will open the discussion um, and potentially provide more clarity because what you have is you have a lot of people who may be fearful about bringing people on um, or you have people who are overcompensating and making everybody become a, a, a W-2 employee when, when they don't necessarily need to be. So it would be good to have more clarity there. The insurance issue is is tough. But there are models out there. Um, Mark Warner, the senator from Virginia, uh, proposed something. Of course, they're not too good at acting on bills in, uh, in D.C. these days. But um, he proposed the idea of a pilot for portable benefits, where instead of benefits coming from a company, benefits would sort of reside with the employee or reside with the worker, I shouldn't say employee, and, 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 and see how that works. So his suggestion is doing a pilot through some of the uh, the platform companies and seeing what happens, and then using that to inform uh, more more overarching legislation down the road. Another idea that has been um, thrown out there is something which I personally like, called the certified self-employed, where you get to certify that yes, I am an independent worker, and something you know. I think it was suggested that the SBA, the Small Business Administration, be the certifying body that, you know, every three years you would have to renew and you would, you know, you'd have to demonstrate that you have multiple clients. You'd have to demonstrate that you are independently working. I mean, all that, all whatever things you need to do to have that certification, but then you never have to worry about being uh, found as inappropriately a 1099. Um, and then finally, some of the, the digital talent guys are taking it on themselves. They, uh, uh, Handy, which it does, you know, handyman, gardeners, plumbers, uh, independent workers that de deliver services personally, they have developed an insurance program in the state of New York where y the deal is you have to agree that they're independent contractors, but they will get uh, health insurance benefits through that. So, and, and similarly, there are other people that are, are in the private sector that aren't going to wait for the government, the government to finally make a you know, some of the right choices, and they're moving on this. There's a company out here called Thor, which just did a um, an initial coin offering, but their whole idea is to create these coins, Thor tokens, where contractors would get the coins, the coins would rise in value, and by virtue of that rise in value, Thor will be, offer, be able to offer lower-priced um, uh, medical benefits to anybody in the community that has that utility token. So I have to say this was like trial by fire for me, meeting these guys to, to try to understand the whole cyber currency I, ICO thing. But their intention is to create an environment that enables independent workers to have the health care they need at a good price. Love it. This has been amazing. Uh, we've been talking to... Marion McGovern was the author of Thriving in the Gig Economy. I'll make sure I put that in the show notes. 
where else can people find out your work? Because this is truly important. I mean, you, you, you outlined why it's important, but even, um, even more so is the fact that this is going to be the majority of work in the future. So it's very uh, paramount that we understand what we're about to approach. So I appreciate you helping us navigate the waters. Yep, they can find me at marionmcgovern.com. They mm-hmm. can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, or I tweet at marianmcgovern.com. Okay, okay, we'll make sure to put that. McGovern, yeah. McGovern, okay. Um, I, I always end my podcast with my mission statement. So my mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. So how do you, Marion, use your difference to make a difference? Wow, I like that. Yeah. Um, I think it would be about always being curious because curiosity helps I'll raise questions. And one of my favorite books is A More Beautiful Question uh, by a guy named Warren Berger. And it talks about how, you know, because like in school, it's always about the right answer. And a lot of companies, it's all about the right answer. And the the truth of the matter is, the answer's not right if you're not asking the right question. So Mm -hmm. let's better about being curious and, and thinking about other ideas. And, and hopefully I do that. You do, we must definitely do. Even in with the uh, 45 minutes that I've, I've spent with you, I can definitely see how you did that. But um, I want to thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for enlightening us. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure many people's lives will be better for that. So thank you so much. Cool. It was a pleasure. Pleasure is mine. Ladies and gentlemen, till next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.